Credit insurance is one of the tools uh, used by banks in reducing risk in, uh, in their loan portfolio. Today, uh, we are going to uh, be speaking with Stephen Kay, a managing director with a large insurer uh, in New York City who specializes in credit insurance and other type of um, um, risk-reducing um, tools. I'm Patrick Zorro, uh, your host at the uh, University Club podcast. Stephen has spent uh, more than 15 years uh, in his current position and he's going to talk to us about um, what he does and how he got there and uh, the world of credit insurance. So Stephen, uh, three questions in general questions. You know, why McGill University? Uh, why Marsh? And uh, why uh, credit insurance? Okay. Uh, well, Patrick, thanks for having me on this podcast. I really appreciate it and uh very excited to talk about these uh, these uh, these questions. So I guess taking them in order, uh, why uh, the first was why McGill University. Uh, so um, I actually grew up in uh, now I live in in uh, in the tri-state area here in um, close to New York, and I work in Midtown New York City. Uh, but uh, I grew up in Canada, and um, actually was born in England. My parents emigrated to Canada, grew up in in Montreal, and. Um, McGill was kind of practically in my backyard, so uh, I wanted to go there from, you know, since you know, from from the time that I was a teenager, and I only made one application to one university, and that was McGill, and so that's it's very different from nowadays when I think people uh, apply to so many different colleges. So uh, it just turned out that I had a world class, great university uh, so close to me, and it was a fantastic experience. I ended up doing a uh, an undergraduate degree in uh in economics um and then followed by an MBA in finance both at McGill University and that's kind of like where my career took off from there. Did you know what you wanted to do at that time? Uh, do you have you know were you thinking insurance at that time or were you thinking No, definitely not. I was definitely not thinking about insurance. Uh, I, 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 I think I was probably in that class of uh, of, uh, of, of young, um, you know, adult at that time who didn't really know what he wanted to do, but he had sort of vague interests. Uh, I was a voracious reader of current events and of news, and uh, in my undergraduate degree, I had uh, taken uh, sort of a mix of uh, economics classes, and I had some fantastic teachers that really sort of, uh, I think, you know, made the subject come alive for me. And uh, I sort of put in a, uh, uh, an interesting sort of uh, peppered in a mix of, uh, of uh, political science and, uh, uh, you know, type courses. And in one particular case, I had, a, uh, gosh, I forget his name. I had an interesting teacher who was a uh, sort of a, an NYU visiting professor um, who, uh, who gave a uh, a sort of a very interesting lecture on comparative economic systems and um, comparative economic and political systems, in fact. And uh, I wrote a term paper uh, that in that class on, uh, on uh, an exotic country, uh, which, was, uh, which was North Korea. <laughs> and uh, that kind of got me interested also in sort of like what is a current still passion of mine today, uh, which is not only economics and finance, but also country risk and political risk, which sort of fits in with my current job. Um, so, But I definitely did not ever start out with the idea of uh, ending up in the insurance industry. It was a bit of an accident that, that, that sort of resulted from uh, when I graduated from uh, my, my MBA uh, 
practically the first people that I spoke to, um, you know, looking for a job happened to be uh, EDC, which is a government agency in Canada. It's the Export Credit Agency, uh, which is based in Ottawa, and um, which is sort of the equivalent of the uh, Export-Import Bank of the United States. And EDC is sort of like a combination of a bank and an insurance company. They do both uh, direct loans, and they also provide export credit insurance. Uh, and uh, that's sort of where I kind of, you know, got on this path that I've stayed on pretty much my whole career, which is really sort of a combination of banking and insurance. Very nice. So um, you graduate uh, and you have your first job, and so let's make our way to where you are now. I mean, how did you migrate? How did, how did that happen? Was there a, a plan or...? Yeah, there was. A, the, 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 it, it was a sort of like a, um, I think, a series of sort of happy coincidences or, or, or maybe random events. I think um, so. Uh, I was working at EDC uh, in in Ottawa uh, and um, in and also in Montreal. I, I left EDC at one point because uh, I wanted to branch out and get into commercial banking. I did corporate banking for about two years at. Royal Bank uh, in Canada and um, got credit training there. And then kind of on the personal side, I was married, uh, you know, newly married, and my wife was in the pharma industry. She was a product manager working for Squibb uh, in, in, in Canada. She had just done the, uh, the, the launch in Canada of a product uh, for um, uh, a cholesterol-lowering drug, a brand-new class of drug that got early approval in Canada before the U.S. and internationally and uh, so once she had done that product launch in Canada, they, her, her boss said, you know, would you like to come to Princeton for the head office of Squibb globally and do the international and the U.S. launch of this new uh, cholesterol drug? So that night, Carol came home and said, how would you like to move to the New York area? And so I said, well, never, never really thought about it. So, you know, I was working for Royal Bank, and I thought, well, I would end up probably, you know, Canada's financial capital is Toronto. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, I thought, well, dude, what's what's the what's the more sexy and exciting thing? Is it Toronto or New York? So <laughs> we sort of don't overnight that decided. <laughs> don't answer it. No. So um, uh, overnight, I decided, or we decided to 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 try our uh, our chances and come to New York. Uh, uh, she was going to work in Princeton, and I was going to work in New York City. Uh, hopefully, you know, if I could find a job. So I made one phone call to some people that I knew, you know, from my days at EDC, and. Uh, landed a job um, intending to be there for just like two or three years uh, and then returned to Canada. Uh, so I landed a job working for Citibank. And uh, so uh, we, we moved. Uh, I was at Citibank uh, working for uh, actually like a, a captive company that Citi uh, created, uh, an insurance company that they created to, uh, to self-insure their own country risk uh, that Citi was taking all over the world and you know, 190 countries when they made cross-border loans. And um, some 98% of that risk was was reinsured into the, you know, the global sort of uh, uh, property and casualty insurance market. So that's kind of where I learned about private sector insurance and, again, sort of like the, the sort of the intersection of banking and insurance. And, uh, you know, I basically, uh, over, over seven years... Uh, and this is kind of a theme. I, I spent almost all my jobs were seven years. Uh, I spent seven years at Citibank, uh, became the uh, the chief underwriting officer at that 
at that entity, which was called Citicorp International Trade Indemnity. And, um, and then um, left City um, uh, at the end of those years, uh, those seven years, uh, uh, crossed over, worked for AIG, where I spent seven years again, uh, again, doing sort of, you know, a lot of uh, application of insurance to 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 banking and um, um, and then after AIG, this is kind of a compressed timeline. Uh, I uh, came here to Marsh, which is the world's biggest insurance broker, kind of a large insurance supermarket. And within that, uh, under the roof of Marsh, we have something called Credit Specialties, which is a sort of niche area where we do all sorts of uh, interesting things, but uh, including uh, both political risk insurance and credit insurance, and I'm the U.S. practice leader for that class of product uh, here at Marsh uh, today. Yeah, when we worked uh, together, I think uh, it was at the uh, conference, I think, of the AI, um, IACPM, where I asked you to come over and talk a little bit about the product. Uh, I think it was uh, two or three, two years ago, two or three years ago, and the the, the, mm-hmm. the market seemed to have picked up at that time. When I mean the market, the, the need, at least in the U.S., uh, it's probably more developed in Europe, but the need for banks in the U.S., to uh, use insurance more effectively uh, to reduce their risk uh, seem to have started or taken off. Is this what's going on uh, as of today? Is this still being um, this a growth area? Or? Absolutely. So, like, uh, well, it, this is sort of reflected in my own business here, where uh, you know, uh, within my group, um, we we offer. Uh, Political risk insurance for uh, for corporates and for banks. Uh, that's sort of like a traditional product that's existed for a long time. And then we offer also comprehensive credit insurance for, or credit risk insurance, as some call it, uh, for banks. Uh, that, that corresponds exactly to what you just uh, described. And uh, you know, European banks have been doing this for probably longer than a decade. And and some banks uh, in Europe are <clears throat> have have notional amounts of of credit insurance to cover some loans in their portfolio that are in excess of uh, notional amounts of, let's say, $10 billion of limits, of insurance credit limits, uh, or more, you know. So uh, in, 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 in North America, uh, both the U.S. and Canada, and I think, you know, fair to say also uh, some other markets like Australia, uh, you know, have been um, rather, I think, late uh, comers to the use of that product. But I think that now it's really begun to mature uh, very rapidly in in the North American market. And uh, we're kind of riding the wave of that where I think uh, many banks are really discovering the application of uh, of credit insurance, you know, uh, to uh, to achieve the goals that you just described, to to manage their credit risk and to achieve uh, regulatory capital relief, which is, uh, which is of course, like today under, you know, sort of like, a, a, you know, increasing demands of regulation on banks to, uh, to, uh, to manage their capital is, is, is a very highly valued thing. So um, why do you think that is, the, the fact that uh, in the U.S. is kind of a latecomer to the game? Could it be tied to... Uh you know, Basel implementation, which tends to be uh, a bit behind the U- uh, the Europe, or yeah, yeah, I think it is. I think it's directly relating to that. Uh, I believe the um, 
the uh, well, a couple of things. I guess I would say I would agree with you that Basel, uh, the Basel Accords, were uh, implemented in in the United States. Uh, I think, if I'm not mistaken, uh, I could be wrong, but I think it was July 1st of uh, they were they were announced on July 1st, 2014, for for with an effective date of January 1, 2015. That's really not very long ago, right? So. Um, uh, before that, the, the the U.S. regulatory regime was actually, you know, kind of at odds with with the regime that was being applied almost everywhere else, which was which was sort of uh, everywhere else were really following the uh, the the rollout of the of, of the Basel Accord, and the Europeans had been doing it for for quite a long time already. So, um, once the U.S. regs were harmonized with those, uh, you know, in in effect everywhere else. Then U.S. banks started to act like uh, like European banks, and you know, pay attention to to uh, you know these same these very same sort of metrics of uh, you know uh, how much capital, paying attention to how much capital they were using when they were lending money, and 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 then that's where you know capital uh, became, I think, a uh, uh, like a valued and rare commodity, and ways to save on using capital or to or to rationally, you know, uh, more intelligently use that capital became uh, became very useful to uh, to U.S. Uh, you know and other uh, other banks. So okay, let's let's get into the meat of what it is that when we're talking about credit insurance. Um, mm-hmm. So yes. what's what is the underlying? What are we what are we insuring? And when is it that we could call on? I guess what we call a credit event. Yeah. So um, the uh, w- what we're talking about insuring are uh, are uh, extensions of credit by a bank to uh, to a borrower, and uh, uh, just for you know just to make a distinction, we're not really talking about capital market activities like issuance of bonds or private placements. We're really talking about banks and users of their balance sheet. So uh, you know, uh, banks tend to uh, when they make loans, they they have them on their books. They uh, and they have to reserve capital against those loans, and that's 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 the effect of uh, of bank regulation uh, nowadays. And those types of loans could be anything from uh, very short-term extensions of credit, like revolving credit facilities that that companies typically uh, take from banks, uh, to uh, trade finance uh, type of loans or supply chain finance, where let's say banks. Uh, uh, purchase trade receivables from companies to uh, to create liquidity for them for those for those borrowers. Uh, you know, to everything from more medium term uh, towards more medium term transactions like uh, uh, export prepayments or uh, pre export financing to you know everything you know into more funky uh, uh, esoteric classes of. Uh, of, uh, of loans like aircraft finance, uh, uh, working capital loans, um, and, uh, and and project finance. So, uh, you know, within within that sort of like huge basket, uh, there's everything from very short-term exposure from, let's say, 60-day credit risks to like 18 or 20-year project finance uh, uh, credit risks. And all of those things can be insured by... Uh, by credit insurance nowadays, just because of the development of the market to uh, to sort of match and accommodate the needs of uh, of the banks who are the users of that product. So, if I'm a banker and I make a loan to, a, let's say, a five-year loan to a, a large U.S. corporate, and I want to hedge my risk or I want to reduce my risk, 
um, you know, I could either sell the loan, but if I want, because I want to keep the relationship going, I want to be able to, um, to insure it. What is it? So I'm insuring basically the credit itself, but um, mm-hmm. yeah. how does one, someone else get comfortable with the credit itself? Because with, with, yeah. Do you mean the credit of the loan that's yeah, being insured the or the credit of the, yes. of the insurance yeah. company? Okay, so the uh, well, the uh, the insurance company when they when they look at you know a piece of business and they're being asked to insure it to credit insure it really, you know, uh, first of all, uh, it's kind of important for the uh, uh, for everyone to understand that the the insurance company didn't originate that loan. They they really relied on that bank who brought the loan to the insurance company. You know, asking them to insure it, they relied on that bank to 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 generate and sort of originally to underwrite and package that loan. And the insurer doesn't really have a relationship with the borrower, so uh, uh, so they do rely. The insurer does rely in some uh, important way on the uh, on the bank who brings them that business and asks for the insurance to uh, to to provide certain elements of information, like for example. Uh, uh, of course, there's all the loan documentation has to be provided to the to the insurance company, uh, but most importantly, you know, information about the financials of the borrower. You know, the insurance company has to make its own sort of independent uh, credit decision, and uh, uh, in order to, to take credit decisions, you know, for a five-year loan like you described, the uh, the the insurer would have to uh, you know spread the financials and uh, do its own credit analysis and. Question is like, are the financials available? Uh, if it's a private company, sometimes it may be a publicly listed, publicly traded company, and financials are are are, are in the public domain. But that is not always the case. So, um, where it is not, then the insurance company does rely on the uh, on, on on the bank who who's who's seeking the insurance to um, uh, to share that information with them. So that seems to apply a quite a close relationship, I guess, between the insurer and the banker, uh, especially when the name is not very public. Mm-hmm. And, yes, uh, it does. Yeah. Does it does? And and, and, and sometimes it's 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 it, it's a it's a tricky and careful relationship that has to be navigated because um, you know the. Uh, uh, the, of course, of course, it's very difficult for an insurance, a credit insurance company, to to take a credit decision without credit information. Uh, but uh, uh, from the bank's point of view, when they're offering, you know, a slice of that credit risk to an insurance company, then they really, the bank really does want the credit insurer to uh, to, to take its own independent decision and. Uh, uh, in some cases, we we do have credit insurance companies asking the bank to share its own internal credit memorandum, you know, which kind of explains the rationale to, uh, uh, you know, for for having made the loan in the first place, and sort of provides for the insurer a kind of a shortcut to really sort of pulling together the logic and the the, the reasons for why this asset may be maybe maybe a good credit risk and why the insurer should. Should jump on the bandwagon and 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 insure it, right? Uh, but uh, but but that's a tricky thing because uh, uh, insurance companies uh, uh, don't want the insurer to say, well, you know, uh, you know, you know, you the bank gave us this credit information, and we based our credit decision on your memo. 
So usually, you know, uh, well, sensitive parts of that credit memorandum will be redacted, and uh, and the the insurer will be will be required to make uh, representations that they have actually, you know, even if they receive this 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 privileged information that they've they've made their own independent inquiry and their own independent uh, credit decision. Plus, I understand at the end of the day, they do ask for the banks to keep a piece of the credit as well so they're not insuring a hundred percent of the yeah well that's an that's a very important point in fact because the uh, the uh, the insurance uh, uh, who very rarely um, allows the bank to you know to to dispose of a hundred percent of that credit risk in one single loan mm-hmm. you know it, it you know the the uh, for various reasons you know uh, very often the bank doesn't want to do that. They, they 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 made the loan in the first place, and they're very they're very comfortable with the asset, and they they they're prepared to keep the asset if they can. You know, and very often you know the the need for distributing or to de-risking the loan is is something that's mandated internally in the bank by by either their credit department or you know their their credit and portfolio management group, for example. So the person who originated that loan wants to keep the loan and likes the loan. Um, but um, uh, uh, the flip side of that is that insurance companies never really want to insure 100% of the loan just for simple sort of, I guess, what we call moral hazard reasons, right? I guess there's the, there's the issue that if the insurer is going to take 100% of the loan of the credit risk, then they may, uh, you know, the, 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 the bank who's laying off that risk who's actually keeping the loan but laying off the risk to the insurer may uh, may start to behave in sort of, uh, you know, uh, different ways because you've altered the, in- the incentives for the lender to uh, to act in a sort of more, I think, you know, uh, different, different fashion than as if they were actually keeping that loan and remaining at risk for that, uh, for that, for that particular insured loan. So, so what we do see in the market is sort of a bit of a spectrum where, in some cases, uh, 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 credit insurers are willing to uh, to insure maybe you know 90 percent of uh, of a loan uh, principal amount, and in uh, in other types of uh, credit insurers for certain types of assets, we see the insurers only taking let's say 50 percent of the loan amount and requiring that lender to to really remain at risk for a large portion of that loan. So the um as far as the terms are concerned, what is it? What does a document look like? Uh, is it like a standard insurance document? Uh, what are some of me some of the key terms that one would want to yeah. see in a document like that? Well, in a, in any insurance policy, uh, and, and here let's let's kind of maybe start with this. Uh, it, it, it is an in, it is classified as an insurance policy, which is a differentiated. Which is differentiated from uh, from what you might call an unconditional guarantee. So, you know, an unconditional guarantee is usually callable by the holder of the guarantee, uh, you know, on demand, on first demand, with no questions. You know, then the the provider of the guarantee has to pay within three days. You know, so uh, that what we are talking about is is differentiated from that. is It's not a guarantee. It is an insurance policy and. If you think about a homeowner's insurance policy or any other type of insurance policy um, uh, or this credit insurance, you know, there are conditions, and so there are condi- There is some 
conditionality in this product that needs to be managed by the bank and understood and, and, and properly uh, uh, properly managed um, in order for the product to be effective. So um, examples of conditionality are where, um, for example, in the uh, in the insurance policy, the uh, the bank who's uh, insuring, you know, let's say 50% of its loan, uh, you know, is going to actually make a warranty to the insurer that they will keep a certain amount of the risk uh, uninsured and, uh, you know, unhedged for the bank's sole account. So that, and that's very important for the insurer, as we've just discussed previously, and it's actually baked into the contract. It's a, it's a condition of the, uh, of the credit insurance uh, uh, policy. So that's um, that's one example. The other the other example uh, of conditionality would be uh, that the insurer uh, would ask the bank to uh, uh, not only to uh, uh, you know to, to to provide it with uh, the the loan documents at inception of the loan, and uh, uh, but also to provide the uh, the insurer with. Uh, sort of a stream of information, um, you know, material information that could be important for the insurer to know as if they had actually been sitting like a funded lender uh, holding the the loan themselves. So, for example, a uh, stream of uh, like borrower reports, you know, that would normally be shared with the lenders would normally also flow to the insurance company. And, uh, you know, any type of sort of demand for uh, for you know waivers by the borrower or let's say if there were any covenant breaches or things like that that would be material to the to the lenders well the uh, uh, the insurance company would also like to have that and receive that very same information so these are these are examples uh, of the uh, conditions that you would see in uh, in such a policy and of course you know a policy always has a policy limit uh, there's a sort of a maximum payout that is stated in the policy, and and usually also the um, uh, these policies uh, which insure bank loans they they insure usually a slice of the risk or, or a percentage of the risk, and that's sort of that risk sharing uh, proportion, uh, which is usually a pari passu or sort of uh, you know a fixed percentage share of the loan amount is stated right in the document and so uh, th- these are these are examples i guess i guess i could go on but uh, no, of course. uh yeah uh, mm-hmm. so uh all right so we've got the document in place um what are some of the trigger that you've seen used uh in uh, in recent document and uh, do you have an example of when it actually were triggered and under what yeah circumstances yeah sure to get a sense yeah, sure. So the the, uh, um, uh, the 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 product is actually uh, it, it goes by different names, but it's uh, but but one of the names that it goes by, which is actually quite descriptive, is is non-payment insurance. It sometimes also is called uh, structured credit insurance or or credit risk insurance. But uh, non-payment insurance is 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 very apropos because uh, uh, because uh, uh, the way the product actually works is that uh, it responds to the failure of the. Uh, of the borrower under that loan agreement to make a scheduled uh, uh, payment, you know. So loans, um, in, in 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 most cases, loans have like a sort of pre-programmed uh, uh, repayment schedule, and uh, certain a certain amount of 
uh, of money has to be paid at a, at a certain date, right? And of course, failure to do that is a default by the borrower, and uh, which, which sets all kinds of things into motion, you know, under the loan agreement. So, so uh, uh, within a, within a loan agreement, you find you know events of default, which include monetary, um, you know, payment default, uh, and, and that's what we're talking about specifically here. But loan agreements also include other things like, you know, like change of control of the borrower, for example, or, you know, um, uh, covenant breaches that are not cured under a loan uh, and things like that. Well, those those triggers are usually not uh, covered by a non-payment insurance policy. So so really, um, returning to my comment earlier, the, the, these policies really uh, respond only when there's a failure of the borrower to make a required payment. The, um, what are some of the, do you have some, without naming names, obviously, but what have you, what have you seen uh, actually happen in actual cases, uh, you know, uh, when they didn't make a payment, there was an issue? Uh, yeah, so, uh, so, sure, you know, so, um, uh, well, uh, kind of like, a, I'll give you two ways to respond to that. One is, one is sort of like in a macro sense. Uh, this particular market, uh, who provide, which provides, uh, you know, non-payment insurance or credit risk insurance for banks has existed for, you know, like well over a decade. But in the financial crisis of 2007 and 8, uh, there, there was a, there was a very large wave of, uh, of borrower defaults under these insured, uh, transactions. And, uh, the market by the reckoning of, uh, of my group, uh, Marsh, uh, yeah, paid something in the order of uh, of between two and three billion dollars of uh, of claims to the users of this product, um, you know, and, uh, uh, and 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 the process was really quite seamless, right? The uh, the failure of a specific borrower to honor its its uh, its payment obligation really uh, 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 triggers the. The pursuit by the bank who bought insurance of a claim against the insurance company. So the insurance company would be would be asked by the uh, by the bank who has the insurance, you know, for that specific loan, which is now in default, <clears throat> to um, uh, to make a claim payment. And uh, there's a formal claim process where there's a written demand for payment against the insurance company. Usually, uh, the the uh, the bank making the demand would uh, you know would refer to the terms and conditions of the insurance policy and say you know we've observed and uh, honored all of the terms and conditions of the policy and uh, uh, and uh, you know uh, they would point out the uh, the default by the borrower of a certain scheduled payment or or, or a series of payments or. Or the bank having accelerated the loan and demanded payment, and that demand for payment not having been been met, and uh, and and those those would be the trigger the triggering events under the policy that would uh, that would uh, uh, that that trigger the liability of the insurance company to have to pay out, and uh, and then of course there's the mechanics of the policy that need to be closely followed, but but those are those are the essentials. Where you know the the, uh, the 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 payment default by the borrower under the loan causes the bank to uh, 
to turn against the insurance company who is sort of like the silent risk participant in the background, you know, sharing in the economics and the risks of that one loan that's stated in the policy, and then to demand following that default against the insurance company to demand the insurer to uh, to make a payment. So, and uh, finally, what? how much does it cost? How do you price insurance like that? Well, that's that's interesting. So, the 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 insurance companies who provide this uh, product, which are uh, and by the way, there there are some fifty or sixty insurers who do this. Uh, they're all sort of globally well-rated insurance companies uh, that either uh, are based in the U.S. or 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 in Europe, and some of them in in Bermuda, which is kind of interesting. Uh, so, they these insurers who do this uh, for a living are. As mentioned, there they don't originate these loans. They're really price takers. They, 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 they sort of are offered participations by banks, and they uh, they take the pricing that the banks have themselves negotiated in the underlying loan. So, uh, kind of to stick with the example that that you that you gave, Patrick, you, you spoke about a five-year, let's say, term loan, and uh, let's just say for argument's sake that that loan was priced by the banks. Uh, bought by the bank who made the loan uh, at uh, you know uh, you know LIBOR, which is uh, which is the London interbank offered rate, which is sort of the the cost of funds between banks uh, for borrowing, and that would be sort of the basis of uh, uh, of the pricing would be normally LIBOR plus a risk margin. So. Let's say that that risk margin for the loan is is priced at LIBOR plus 250 basis points. I'm just making that up. Uh, so that would be the that would be the pricing under the loan, and then the pricing for the insurance would normally be a sharing of that risk margin because the the risk margin really expresses the the credit risk of that borrower and um, and the uh, the insurance company who's providing that credit risk insurance. Would normally take some percentage of that pricing. So, uh, on average, in this market, we see insurers taking somewhere between sixty to seventy percent of that uh, of that loan margin. So, seventy uh, percent of uh, two hundred and fifty basis points. Just uh, doing the math quickly, that's uh, one hundred and seventy-five bips, or one hundred and seventy-five basis points uh, per annum. That would be the insurance cost in this example. This is uh, this is well, I guess it's cheaper. Um, they, but they're taking the risk. They're taking the um, the risk of the borrower. So obviously yeah. they want to get uh, some of it, and uh, they're not getting all of it. Uh, okay, so I think this is well. A, yeah, go ahead. Well, of course. Well, of course. I I I, I guess that in in that. Uh, um, within that example, um, you know the the bank who's who's actually shifting that risk from the borrower to the insurer, you know, very often a couple of things are happening. One is that let's say the borrower might be, so let's call it a double B rated credit. Uh, and uh, the insurance company usually will be an investment grade, either A rated or better, let's say an A or double A rated insurance company. So there's a, there's a bit of a, a shift from a sort of a lesser rated borrower to a higher rated insurance company. And that's kind of an important theme, um, but uh, uh, but even even with the insurance company uh, being well rated, you know, part of that loan margin which is left on the table for the bank to retain, you know, has to pay for the bank's risk against the insurer, right? So, 
Um, that's part of the equation. And then the other part of it is really the fact that the, uh, the bank has a very strict, uh, you know, um, you know, capital rules, like the Basel rules and the, and the regulations that banks have to live with nowadays are quite strict. The insurance market has uh, has uh, has different rules, and uh, insurers, you know, uh, don't have concentrated books of credit risk. So insurers, especially property and casualty companies, have uh, diversified books of, you know, uh, weather risk or, you know, property risk or life risk if they're providers of life insurance or, you know, like insurance companies are very diversified in their portfolios of types of risk. And as a result, they, um, the capital requirements of insurance companies are less than those of, um, of commercial lenders, right? So, so that's one of the reasons why the insurance companies can take a, 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 a you know, can share that risk margin under the loan and take a lesser return than the bank has agreed to take. And uh, from the insurance company's point of view, relative to the capital that the insurer is using, it still makes sense to take that trade. Um, I think this is a, it's a good primer. It should uh, allow the, uh, the, the audience to um, at least be introduced to this concept and uh, to want to know more. Um, Stephen, uh, thank you very much for your time. Uh, I think this was quite enlightening uh, in terms of understanding how banks uh, can reduce risk apart from selling their loans or going into the uh, the CDS market. So uh, I want to thank you for your time. Correct. It's been a pleasure. And I thank think you, at Dr. some point we might want to, um, to hear back from you so we could compare uh, what is it uh, working in Canada versus <laughs> working in the U.S. I think it will be quite an interesting uh, discussion there. I'd be happy to talk about that. But keep in mind that um, I think I explained I, I, I thought I was coming to the to the U.S. for two years, but uh, it turns out I've now been here for like over 20 years, and I have three kids born here, and, uh, you know, I, I do go back to Canada every once in a while. Okay. But I think I'm – I think my, my, um, my, my, my personal life is now permanently um, – you know, relocated to uh, to New York. So. A biased discussion. That's what you're saying. Okay. <laughs> yes. Yes. Okay. Well, uh, Stephen, again, thank you very much, and uh, hope to be uh, hear from you back uh, very soon.